Alexander Fleming is quoted as saying, penicillin sat on a shelf for 10 years while I was called a quack. Now, we all know that this was truly a revolutionary breakthrough discovery that ushered in a new era in medicine. When it comes to protecting your brain health as you age and preventing dementia and cognitive decline, what revolutionary breakthroughs might you not be aware of because of the dysfunctional corporate medical system you're participating with? We are in the age of the end of Alzheimer's. Would you like to get on board? So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock solid metabolism, lasting weight loss and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription Podcast with Dr. Kieran. I'm so grateful that you chose to join us today. You're going to love the topic today. It is about protecting your beautiful, precious brain, which is your mainframe computer and is what secretes your hormones and controls your entire nervous system and body. So you've got to get this part of your health right as you age or everything deteriorates because if your life is like mine, if your computer doesn't work, nothing works in your life, right? Well, your computer is your brain. And if your brain stops working, then everything else follows suit. And my guest today has really gone deep on Dr. Dale Bredesen's Recode Protocol. Dr. Bredesen is the best-selling author of The End of Alzheimer's. He's at UCLA and he created the Recode Protocol, which is a 28-point protocol for evaluation and management to prevent and reverse cognitive decline in Alzheimer's. So he really is the leader when it comes to protecting your precious brain. And my guest, Dr. Hartman today is certified in the RECODE protocol and passionate about so many things related to functional medicine versus dysfunctional. And he has a similar story to mine in that he's an MD by training, but slowly but surely because of loved one's health problems, found his way to a functional way of practicing medicine and got a whole bigger toolbox so that he could help people address the root cause of their dysfunction and stop using the band-aids of drugs and surgery to mask symptoms. So I will tell you a little bit about him and then we'll get started. Dr. Aaron Hartman is a physician, clinical researcher, and professor who specializes in helping people identify and correct the functional causes of disease, including helping them prevent and reverse Alzheimer's disease using Dr. Dale Bredesen's Recode Protocol. Like most of us who have transitioned from practicing dysfunctional 
functional medicine centered around suppressing symptoms with drugs and surgery to functional medicine, healing that addresses the cause of disease and dysfunction. Dr. Hartman has had an incredible personal journey that led him to the uncomfortable realization that the toolbox he was given with his MD training was insufficient to address his daughter's health concerns and most of the chronic conditions that trouble humans throughout life. Welcome, Dr. Aaron Hartman. Aaron, it's great to be here with you and your, your community. I'm just excited to share some of the things I've learned and have a great conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's the first time we're recording the podcast actually live with my women in my midlife mastery program, midlife metabolism mastery. And so after we record the live podcast, they're going to get to have some special teaching with Dr. Aaron and a Q&A session, which I think is really awesome. I wonder if you could say a little bit about your journey, because I find that one of the questions I get, you probably get this too frequently, when women hear what's actually available to help them heal, balance their hormones, detoxify, they say, why don't all doctors practice this way? So can you share a little bit of your journey, how you went from what I call corporate medicine, corporate MD to being a functional? I think to the, I'd love to share my story. I think the front end, a lot of people just don't realize how science works. It took 50 years for the Surgeon General of the United States and 7,000 research articles before they said smoking causes lung cancer. Even though in the 16th century in China, they knew that smoking and nicotine addiction adversely affected their military, and they actually wanted to get the Western tobacco out of China. That's a big time lag, and people forget that the hand wash, which was quote-unquote invented in Austria in the 1930s, um, it took almost almost 30, 40 years for it to catch on in Europe. And so people think that science is rapidly changing, but the standard of care means, you know, a group of people get together. What can a group of really smart people in one room, what can we all agree on? And that's what standard of care medicine is. And people just don't get that. It's, you know, yes, medicine is changing quickly, but the actual institutional education through universities is a very slow process. And so that's the first kind of caveat. My personal journey, actually, um, my wife, who's a pediatric occupational therapist, she claims credit for kind of getting me down this rabbit hole with um, with our daughter. Her Our daughter, Anna, actually was one of her patients that she started taking care of after Anna was discharged from the hospital. And she has a bunch of interesting neurological diagnosis. They called her cerebral palsy because they didn't really have anything else to call it. But we, had, we took her in as a foster child at a year, then decided we wanted to adopt her. The pediatric GI specialist was telling us that our daughter was underweight, the, the foster before we adopt her, and that we should put a, an order for her to get right on the growth chart, we should put a feeding tube in her stomach and pour a formula down her stomach. And when we started thinking about feeding, growth, walking, crawling, all these critical neurological steps, putting a feeding tube is actually a terrible idea for a kid. And so we opted out of that. And now, again, this was at the University of Florida. This was a high-end pediatric GI specialist. Six months later, my wife found a pediatric growth chart for kids with CP. My daughter was in the middle of it. And that was the first time I had this aha moment. The specialist had no idea that there was this growth chart out for my daughter. And if I had followed the recommendation, my daughter would have had a feeding tube put in and her trajectory would be radically different than when it's been. And so that was the first time I had this realization that maybe I should question the experts. Maybe I should, maybe I should question the mantra, the authority. And that kind of led me down this pathway that ultimately led into integrative medicine, then functional medicine, then nutrigenomics, then peptide medicine, then anti-aging. And I just sat for my third board certification last week in anti-aging regenerative medicine. It's just led to more things to me realize there's no, I'm going to be learning for the rest of my, I'm going to be practicing and learning forever. 
And but that was the first time that I actually realized maybe the experts don't quite know. And there is that moment of clarity that all of us who practice this type of medicine had where we all of a sudden realized we don't know everything and the specialists don't know everything. And there's this whole world out there. And what you shared at the beginning really harkens back to this quote you shared from Alexander Fleming that I love. Penicillin sat on a shelf for 10 years while I was called a quack. A lot of advances in medicine are poo-pooed. The fact that H. pylori causes Gastric ulcers was poo-pooed, although that was that theory was put forward about 30 years before it was actually accepted as being true. And so this is the course of medicine. And there's so much more that you can access to help you now that may not be accepted by the majority of people, but actually is are the truths of the future that will get you where you want to be. And so how did you become interested? You have lots of certifications. You specialize with peptides. You've trained in that. You've trained in the recode protocol. What interested you in becoming certified in the recode protocol? And what? It's just a natural progression. When you start seeing patients, people come to the door and someone comes in saying, hey, I've got memory issues. My father's got Alzheimer's. How can you help me? I'm like, as a my board certifications and my first one's in family medicine and family medicine, we don't, we, our thing is taking care of everything. And that's just part of my natural bent. And Dr. Brenson's one of the IFM um, faculty and he started, they basically spun off like his own little module and the recode, which was super helpful because it was in the confines of the IFM and with all their supporting and backing for education. So I, when I was doing my training, decided to take like a little Paul, and this is what I did with my training. I, you know, do my, my, my one thing and then, Ooh, Here's, you know, Dr. Amy Yasko's um, epigenetic stuff. Let me take a little off through them, take a dive there. Let me get back on track. Wait a second, CIRS, what's this? Let me take another deep dive. So that's kind of been the way I, I get on track. A little thing pops up and I take a deep dive for half a year, come back up and get back on track. So that's kind of what got me into Dr. Brenson's recode protocol. And so to answer your, your question, what is it? Dr. It's Dr. Brenson's recode pro protocol, as he would say, it's a programmatic approach to cognitive decline. And so he's a neurologist, MD, PhD researcher at the Buck Institute at the UCLA. And his research for the last 20 some years has been Alzheimer's disease. And what he's discovered, it's actually more of a syndrome than a defined disease. It's, there's different kinds. There's type one, type 1 1.5, type two, type three, type four, and type five. And, and so he claimed, we'll both probably get into this a little later. And he classified these types. And then based on lab testing and, and how they present, figured out what are ways you can use nutrition, what are ways you can use nutraceuticals, what are ways you can even use pharmaceuticals to actually get the, at some of the cellular mechanisms that are causing cognitive decline in these subsets. And so that's a brief overview of, um, of him and that. Okay. And for everyone listening, I find that with women at midlife, there are two things that we fear more than anything else. One is breast cancer and two is dementia. Those are the two things that a lot of women focus on. So I think it's very important to talk about, and there are some genetic predispositions that can lead to that. So people may have specific questions about that when we get to that Q&A portion. But can you talk about those different types that you mentioned for Alzheimer's? Because I don't think people are aware that there are these subcategories, they see it as one big category. So type one Alzheimer's is your inflammatory type. So that's when if you do lab testing on someone, they have an elevated homocysteine, elevated HSCRP, a SED rate, the white count is slightly elevated to 9.0. 
their MEBs, which is the sum of their monocytes, eosinophils and basophils are slightly elevated, and they have more of a inflammatory phenotype or expression. These are the people that the APO gene SNP is important because that is a genotype that increases people's risk for inflammation. And that's when I'm looking at someone, I'll do lab tests to see you've got this gene, but is it turned on? Because you can have an APOE4 gene. Most people with the gene do not get Alzheimer's. It does greatly increase your risk, but it's not a quote unquote death sense. And that's where we're looking at, okay, what are your, what are the labs? Type two is your atrophic. And I think this is where some of your audience, atrophic means lack of. So this is where nutritional deficiencies, B vitamin deficiencies, estrogen, hormone deficiencies, fatty acid deficiencies come among the play in the type two. Type 1.5 is catching, that's your glycotoc Alzheimer's disease. If you're a neurologist, neurologists say Alzheimer's is type 3 diabetes, mm -hmm. them recognizing that there's a significant subset of Alzheimer's patients or cognitive decline patients that have insulin resistance. If your sugar levels are high, the sugar literally burns your cell wall, creates these things called ages or advanced glycation end products, which basically are like toast. So what are ages? If you look at protein, you cook steak, it makes that black char, that's an age. If you toast bread, the caramelization is an advanced glycation end product. So people with diabetes literally are toasting their cells, which is, you have to be a doctor to know that's bad. So type four, type three, type three are your, your toxic Alzheimer's. This is where you get into the mold world, you get in the Lyme disease, the chronic infection world. This is one interesting study. It was a small study of about 20 individuals, post-mortem brain biopsies, and 80% of them had spirochetes, which are people know Lyme disease, but spirochetes also are the bacteria that cause a lot of oral infections, periodontal issues. They actually have these bacteria inside these beta amyloid plaques in the brain. So again, type three is the toxic. Type four is your vascular dementia. That's the people who get like multi-infarct dementia, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and on their CAT scan or MRI, you'll see like little white dots. And that's basically the person who like their brain kind of deteriorates over 10 or 20 years from multiple small events. So sleep apnea is a big player in this as well. And then type five is your, your basically it's like your post-traumatic Alzheimer's disease. So many people are familiar with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is what Muhammad Ali had. But the movie Concussion talks about that. But it's the idea that you can get a traumatic brain injury, concussion from being a football player. It's really interesting. High school, the average high school football player gets 20 concussions in a Friday night football game. And this is from you know G-force measuring devices in these kids, these high school kids' helmets. But it also could be, this is also one of the reasons why they the, the kids in the United States are no longer allowed to head the ball when they're 12, because you get these little small micro concussions. We've actually redefined what concussions are and how these small injuries in the right person without the right nutrition can cause this inflammatory cascade that results in upregulation of the activation MMDA receptor calcium influx. And this is where functional medicine is cool because nature's natural blocker. This is magnesium. <laughs> exactly right. So there's these small things you can do to plug in there. And so there, that's a big general view of the five kinds of mild cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease. And then on the functional medicine perspective, we go and add in our toolkit. I see tons of patients with mold issues, chronic Lyme. You know, I've actually come across a lot of patients with hypermobility spectrum disorder. The double jointedness increases your risk for inflammation and certain nutrient deficiencies. And now pretty much all my patients who come in with new stroke, new TIA, new heart attack, chronic fatigue issue, I'm checking all of them for sleep apnea. I'm finding a lot of sleep apnea. I've got mild sleep apnea. I'm not the stereotypic person with sleep apnea. It's amazing how many people are underdiagnosed. And you talk with your dentists, they're like, oh yeah, we call this upper airway resistance syndrome. That's sleep apnea, but <laughs> the dentists call it. And it's amazing how often I've actually learned how to look at people's teeth and their dental arches 
to predict their risk of sleep apnea. I've actually I've got a pretty good batting average with it. And my toolkit, as you can tell, is it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger and then applying this to people I'm seeing in my office. Yeah, mighty big toolkit that you have. And everybody listening, hopefully you get the picture that Alzheimer's is not one thing. When you have degeneration in the brain, it can be caused by many different factors. So infectious processes or glycation, which is an, an inflammatory process. It can be due to atrophy because you don't have the proper nutritional resources in your brain. And our brain really is just a lot of fat and so so if you don't have these healthy fats, that's important. And the vascular and the trauma. And when you say that, I know it's true about the high school football. And my son played football for seven years. And not because I wanted him to, but he wanted to. And I just would hold my breath every game. So far, he seems like he's doing okay 10 years later. And hopefully that will last. So many different types of injury to the brain that can lead to dementia. And let's start with the RECODE protocol in the prevention of dementia. And I believe there are 28 parameters or tasks that need to happen for someone to undergo the RECODE protocol properly. Is that correct? Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's 28. There's, you know, Dr. Brenton actually, I'm not sure um, what his update is. He thinks there's probably in the 60, 60 to 63 different pathways, cellular pathways that can result in, the way the analogy he uses is it's like you're having a leaky roof and you've got 60 some holes in the roof that can cause this. And so the question is, do you have to, do you have to close all of them up? The answer is no, you might, for you, you might need to close up 15 of the holes and me, I need to close up 25 of the holes, but it's allowing your body, you're removing what is caused, what's causing damage in your body, giving your body what it needs. And it's a very, it's a very basic, it's, it's literally his own, it's almost like Dr. Horwitz is familiar with his work with Lyme disease. Mm. Like he has his 18 point chronic Lyme disease thing. It's really interesting, like how smart people in different places in the world have figured out different ways functionally to address chronic illness. And yeah, so. Right. And I hope everyone listening really gets that it's not simple. And I think that we've all been trained by corporate medicine that, oh, it's just, I need a diagnosis and I need a pill or I need a surgery. It's that simple. And it, it's not that simple when you're actually addressing the cause of something. Sure, if you want to suppress the symptom, it's simple. You just give some pharmaceutical powerful enough to knock that symptom out. But if you really want to go deeper and you want to address the cause of it, so you're actually fixing the problem, then it's not simple. And there might be 60 some holes in your roof or 18 or however many. And then it's up to you with your guide to figure out which holes in your roof are leaking and which need to be addressed. So what are some of the big categories that people need to be looking at when it comes to protecting their brain and preventing Alzheimer's? I mean, I'm going to, there's three of them that I've found that probably are the three big leverage points for for any kind of neurocognitive, person with neurocognitive issue, the first thing is their diet. It's really amazing, like, you know, according to you know, current research, half of all chronic disease in the United States can be directly attributed to eating processed foods. So the Harvard School of Public Health, Walter Willett, probably the top epidemiologist in the country. 80% of heart disease and 70% of cancer can be prevented by diet and lifestyle. And so diet is such a big thing. And, and Dr. Brent, it's really interesting with Dr. Brent's and his 16-8 KetoFlex diet is what he, it's his trademark name for it. You know, everybody's got to get a trademark. So, yeah. but it's interesting because Dr. Terry, Terry Walls with her multiple sclerosis work, it's exact same idea. It's, it's basically an autoimmune paleo kind of diet where you're doing fat, daily fasting. And so it's amazing how powerful fasting is. It's really, I'm also, I've finished my peptide certification there, um, training through A4M and Dr. Seeds, if you're familiar with his 
work. And it's interesting how big of a part in these elite athletes and what he's doing, interval fasting plays. It's, it improves mitochondrial function. It improves neuro, neurological connection. It resets your gut microbiome. A lot of people don't realize there's this thing called postprandial endotoxemia. And, and the idea is you eat a meal and toxins are dragged across your gut to your liver. How, this happens no matter what you eat. And it takes about eight hours for that process to abate. If you have a really fatty meal, like a big hamburger, it's 12. If you look at it, it takes anywhere from eight to 12 hours for the toxic load of the food you've eaten to clear through your GI tract. If you eat every eight hours, when does your liver rest? You can't focus on other detoxification. The answer is it can't. If you snack before you go to bed. So it's really interesting the power between of uh, this kind of it's a type of um, fasting mimicking diet or it's a, or a interval fast where you basically you're, you put you compress your eating into six or eight hours a day and then you fast the rest of the day. And that's one of the big things with a lot of my patients is hard to get them. That's been one of the major sticking points with my patients is that that thing. So diet. The second thing is exercise. 400 myokines are these hormones that your muscle releases that are produced by exercise. And these do all kinds of things metabolically, including making your brain make connections, activating your brain. Physical activity is itself a medicine. And it's one of the big parts of his protocol where people get out, get physically active. The correlation of hospitalization, the elderly get hospitalized, you're in bed for a week or two, then grandma does the dwindles. The question is always, is it the illness or is it the immobility? If you get admitted to the hospital, do you know what the single biggest factor that determines if you leave the hospital alive on admission? It's muscle mass. So the frail lady gets admitted to the hospital automatically as is that as that a negative place for leaving alive. And so it's interesting how your muscles actually are a matter. Your seed says your, the, your muscles are your body's biggest endocrine organ. Everybody claims their thing is the best and biggest, right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the cardiologist like it's endothelium. No, it's the muscles, fat tissue or whatever. But point is that physical activity activates all this stuff. And if you do like interval training, during fasting, it basically stresses your mitochondria. This is this idea of metabolic resilience. And the, the concept is that if you always eat carbs and sugar 24-7, your body gets stuck into using carbohydrates and it doesn't become metabolically flexible. If you, you know, start a fast or six or eight hours in, you burn through your carbs and now you're using glycogen stores in your muscle and your liver. About 12 hours, you start using your fast stores as energy. That requires metabolic flexibility. And most Americans, because of our eating habits, never actually do that. We get stuck. We get senescent cells, these cells that are stuck and get inflammatory. And something as simple as fasting with exercise boosts that whole part. It's a magic sauce, literally. And it's amazing how many elite athletes are doing that to improve their performance now. And so that's one of the things yeah. I've gotten into recently with some of the peptide stuff is using what these elite athletes are using Mm-hmm. And then just using to my sick patients. And it's really cool how many people are doing it, how well it works. The last big thing with these patients oh, with um, brain is actually guided imagery. You could call it imagination, but the idea, you know, how many elite in the Sochi Olympics, I think is the first time I came to or the America's consciousness of elite Russian skiers visualizing their ski, their, their, their run before they do it visualizing to the point that their brain actually can do it. And it's interesting when you, when you visualize things, you activate all the same parts of your brain except for the motor strip. And so one, one of the big parts of his brain reactivation reconnection is actually guided imagery, visualization, meditation. He, he, got, he says that 15 years ago, if you told me as a neurologist, I've been telling my Alzheimer's patients to do meditation, I would have told you you're crazy. And now it's, it's one of his, his big things. And it's really interesting how powerful that is for making reconnections in people's brains. So those are like some of the three, in my book, the three big things that my patients get stuck at, but also if they do those, the supplements just help everything else work better. And the other protocols and finding the mold and treating heavy metals and treating sleep apnea and getting the fillings pulled out, all those other things. Yes, they also 
that's all the functional magical stuff, but this lifestyle medicine stuff is actually where everything else is built on top. And thanks for going into that. You said so much in there. So diet, exercise, guided imagery or visualization. And I will say, I find a lot of people are really willing to take supplements <laughs> and change a few things in their life. But what's the hardest for people? Change their diet do exercise of the intensity that they need and do these kind of mindful visualization guided imagery practices. So what are some tips that I want everybody listening to hear what Dr. Aaron's saying? And really, if you're hearing, you're saying, well, I need to incorporate these things to preserve my brain function as I age because I don't want to get dementia. I don't want to get Alzheimer's and this will improve all of those types. Some of the things that he's sharing, I want you to not just hear this, but I want you to think, what am I going to change in my life today to start harnessing the power of my diet better? Because you're going to eat, but how could you tweak what you eat and when you eat a little bit to get this metabolic flexibility that he's talking about? How could you add HIIT training or strength training to preserve your muscle mass? What are you going to do when you hear this? And adding uh, meditation or visualization, guided imagery. I remember uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel's book, uh, what was it? Love Medicine and Miracles, where he treated, he was an oncologist and he had people do visualizations of the chemo going in and killing the cancer cells and just getting well and seeing the outcome that they wanted. And actually there was a statistically significant improvement in the people who actually did do those visualizations. So I want you to ask yourself those questions. And I think this gets to another quote you shared from Thomas Edison, the doctor of the future will give no medication, but will interest his patients in the care of the human frame, diet, and in the cause and prevention of disease. And so if you're listening, you can do supplements all day long, but if you don't get the lifestyle piece, you're probably not going to get where you want to be. The name of the, the podcast is The Hormone Prescription. And to me, everything, the, that's the foundation of women's health. So can you talk about how hormones keep the brain healthy and what's important. The big thing with hormones, as you, you're very well know, is this balance. You're keeping these things balanced. It's interesting how important, even with men need estrogen for our prefrontal cortex, for our, our front part of our brain to think critically, we actually need estrogen. We still need as much as women do. You know, women need testosterone. Testosterone is not just the hormone for libido. It actually helps with myelination of nerves. And so having these hormones balanced is a, is a big deal. And it's not just your sex hormones, it's also cortisol, it's your thyroid, it's your insulin, like the, the whole triad once of adrenal thyroid pancreas, which is that whole hormonal hierarchy kind of stuff. It's really interesting. I call estrogen, it's, it's women's superpower, really. And you can have a baby and seriously, a tumor, a growth, another being in your belly, your body, your hormones keep you from rejecting it. You can have a job, get a profession, become a doctor, do all these kind of crazy things. It literally is this thing that empowers women to do crazy stuff. And so what happens is women do crazy stuff for the 20s, 30s, 40s, and then they hit that pace where the hormone starts coming off. The cortisol is still high. And all of a sudden, now all these side effects from the cortisol that have been covered now start popping up. And that's where, you know, and, and you know, yes, focusing on hormones, but also all the hormones, not just the sex hormones are super, super important. But as far as brain health, it's really interesting, you know, early menopause, and this is where it's some of the bioidentical hormone stuff. It's just boggles my mind that this is still controversial. Like we know that if you have surgical menopause in your 30, 30, you have an increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. We know if you enter menopause early, you have an increased risk for 
Alzheimer's disease. As a woman going under general anesthesia, and this is where some of the lipid therapy stuff I do that's outside of Brenson protocol. If you, how many ever times you've been under general anesthesia is associated with increased risk for Alzheimer's disease as well. And so it's really interesting how with women have some unique risks for cognitive climate, but also some unique therapies as well, which is what, you know, Karen's your expertise, the female hormone stuff, which is huge. Yeah. And so one of the points in, in his recode protocol is proper testing and treatment of sex hormone, what I call poverty deficiency <laughs> it to prevent and treat Alzheimer's. So he talks about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, all three vitally important. I call testosterone the forgotten woman's hormone because it's mainstream or corporate doctors don't address it at all in women usually. And can you talk a little bit about that and just some of the things you've seen or done with bioidentical hormone replacement in your... Yeah. There's also like pregnenolone and DHEA, which are all part of those hormones. Pregnenolone is a primary memory hormone. And how many women do you check who their pregnenolone is like 10, 20, super low? How are you going to have... That, that's the primary hormone that converts down to the steroid pathway to all other stuff right below below cholesterol. DHEA is another important hormone. Like if you look, if you, I think in pictures, I see where the DHEA sits and it turns down estrogen, testosterone, all the other hormones. Like that's an important one for modulating your immune system. There's research looking at DHEA low levels being associated with increased risk for certain autoimmune diseases. Uh, people with allergies tend to have low levels and asthma tend to have low levels of DHEA. Um, even it's interesting that even John Hopkins is doing research using DHEA to treat loop. And then you get your, all your sex hormones, your estrogen, progesterone. It's really interesting how, again, nothing that boggles my mind. A woman has a hysterectomy, so she only needs estrogen. It's basically progesterone is breast protective. You take the estrogen, if you take the progesterone orally, it actually converts to more, I'll bring for GABA hormones that actually have a calming effect, help abate high cortisol, help prevent breast cancer. You need balance with all these things. It's not just, and then it's the whole idea of oral hormones versus bioidentical. If you consume an oral hormone, you have to consume almost 10 times as much for to make it through the first pass metabolism of your liver. You drive estrogen dominance, you drive yeast in the GI tract, you drive all these bad side effects. And so literally you need an expert, Karen, like you, who can test these things and figure out the balance and then actually individualize it to each person. And that's that's powerful. I've seen so many women come to see me who like had an issue and they were told it's just your thyroid. They give lots of thyroid hormone. Now it's your estrogen. They get left oral estrogen. They come to see me. And it's like all the, they have like crazy high estrogen, crazy high, you know, their TSH is suppressed. And I spend a year just weaning them off some of this stuff to get them to area of balance. They feel so much better. Yeah. Hormones, so key. And hopefully everybody listening is hearing that when it comes to protecting your brain. I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on why does ACOG and NAMS, North American Menopause Society, National Endocrine Society, all the governing bodies when it comes to women's hormones in corporate medicine, they say there are only two symptoms of menopause that need to be treated <laughs> with hormones, and that's hot flashes and vaginal dryness. Why do you think that despite the evidence, the myriad studies and amount of data that's available that says exactly the opposite, that we need these for our essential functioning, not only for our brain health, but every system in our body. Why is that not recognized and addressed? I think my personal bias, everybody's got their own personal bias biases. I just think it's, I think just group think you get a group of 10 smart physicians together. 
from different places in the world. And the recognition, ACOG, the recognition is, is consensus. What can we all agree on? You know, me and you are going to look a little differently. We're not going to quite agree eye on eye. We can't converse it, but we're not going to agree eye on eye. You get a room with 10 of us together. What are we going to agree on? We're going to agree on, well, hot flashes and vaginal dryness. I think that's part of the, you know, people tell evidence-based medicine as if it's the, it's the, it's like the pinnacle of the practice of medicine. For me, it's, it's the ground level. That's the minimal where you start. If you want to practice personalized medicine, you have to figure out all these other things. And that's where, how can someone in a committee somewhere say what the, what's right for the patient in front of me without a test, without looking at their gut health, without looking at their diet. So I think it's just a, it's just a symptom of medicine by committee. And so, and once you realize that it's great for getting your tra training wheels on, right? But once you get out in practice, you realize there's a whole new world out there and you can't, you got at some point in time, take the training wheels off. And the standard of care being training wheels is not, in my mind, optimal for the people I see one-on-one -on -one and I'm providing care for. Yeah, I liken corporate medicine to public school and then personalized medicine to private school. It's really this advanced type of care. There is so much that we could talk about, and we are going to jump into that with our midlife metabolism mastery ladies, and we're also going to have time for Q&A. But thank you all for listening to the podcast. Dr. Aaron has a wonderful gift you're definitely going to want to go download. It's called Building Resilience, Harness Your Body's Power to Heal. We will have the link in the show notes. And do you want to tell them a little bit what about what they'll find there? Well, it's basically going through the foundations of functional medicine. We talk about, you know, what is the basic thing we all need to focus on? Not fancy supplements and stuff, and but just, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, nutrition. And it helps people walk through what are some basic things you can make in each one of these areas now that are going to change the trajectory of your health. So that's what it is. Yeah, and I see that they're going to learn about the seven keys to the resilience of the blue zones where people have an extended uh, lifespan, basic preventative health strategies of functional medicine, some lifestyle measures, some of what we've been talking about and more. So I hope that you will definitely check that out. Thank you so much, Dr. Aaron, for sharing your expertise and passion and viewpoints. It's very much appreciated. Karen, thanks for having me. I'm enjoying it. It's been, it's been a good time. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Hormone Prescription Podcast, where we've highlighted how to reverse cognitive decline and mostly prevent it. Join us next week when we dive into the unthyroid thyroid prescription. You've got a thyroid problem, and most of you are out there trying to find answers to it. But what I'm going to teach you about next week is that you can't actually fix your thyroid by trying to fix your thyroid. <laughs> Curious? Join me next week. Make sure to subscribe, share this podcast with your friends because most likely eight out of 10 of them have a thyroid problem too. And they're going to want to hear this information. Until next time, peace, love, and hormones. Dr. Kieran. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.